Today's message, entitled, How Great Is Our God, was given by Mark Altrogi on July 3, 2011, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, for those of you that are new, my name's Mark. I'm also one of the pastors, and I also want to thank you for coming. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Thanks, everybody, from, from uh, years past who came back and just all our guests. And I, I wanted to, Joe, Joe had it on his list. He wanted to thank the Cemetery Association as well. So for those of you who are here from the Cemetery Association, thank you. They, they graciously made us, made it possible for us to have this land and they, they just, uh, sold it to us at, at, at a wonderful price. They could have gotten more, but they wanted a church on this property, and so they graciously allowed us to purchase this. So, uh, thank you all. Um, one person that Joe didn't honor, that was himself. Where is Joe? Where are you, Joe? Standing in the back by the guest reception door. Joe? Joe took on the role of heading up the building project because he knew somebody had to do it and he knew that if Stephen and I tried, we'd never pull it off. And Joe has spent hundreds of hours leading the building team, working with Jim Kelly, the builder, Susan, all the teams, keeping me abreast of whatever I needed to know. Not everything, I'm sure. Joe was involved in everything from the planning and design of the building to working with and preparing all who serve in children's ministry for the move. Joe's involvement was not only administrative, working with the technical aspects, but Joe really pastored people through this whole process. Joe, Joe continued his serving as a pastor but he was also pastoring different people in throughout the building project, working with different, the, the different teams together and caring for people. There, there are lots of challenges when you get lots of different people with lots of ideas working together. And Joe just did a super job of leading this whole thing. And Joe made a real sacrifice for the church. He would have rather been doing more study and teaching but he gladly took on this role to serve us. And throughout the whole project, you need to know this about Joe, with all of its pressures and challenges, Joe was a great, Joe, you were a great example of trusting God. I never heard one single complaint come out of Joe's mouth. And he was consistently joyful and cheerful. Joe, that honors the Lord. You honored the Lord. And... And, and Mary, I know this had a cost on you too, so thank you for being such a great wife to Joe. Without your support and care that you give your, your family, Joe could not have done what he did. I can't imagine how challenging this has been to you as a mom, Mary, with three small children, one of whom is a maniac. <laughs> and being a pastor's wife at the same time, so Mary, thank you for your cheerfulness your joyfulness, your sacrifice. 
We thank these guys. Thank you, guys. Well, can you believe we're here? Isn't this an incredible building? I keep thinking that it, it feels like we sneaked into another church's building and they're going to come in and tell us to leave any minute now. It's just amazing when I think back to our beginnings as a church. For those of you who don't know, we started off as a Bible study in the basement of Davis Hall on the IUP campus in the late 70s. And the pastor who was teaching that Bible study said that he felt called to start a church here. So in June of 1978, we incorporated as a church, held our first meeting in a classroom in Davis Hall on the IUP campus. And not long after that, we moved to what is now the Best Western, which is somewhere just over the hill from where we are. And uh, we met in a room right next to the kitchen. Those of you who were there, there was a door that led into the kitchen right next to the room we were meeting in with a little window in it. And I can still remember the, the, the kitchen workers looking through this window as we were singing and clapping. And they were looking at us like we were a, a room full of snake handlers or something like that. <laughs> Our children's ministry consisted of one hotel room. One room with a couple adults and about 10 kids bouncing on the beds and off the walls. And Dave Allen remembers the first Sunday that he and Gretchen came, and they picked up their daughter Emily from that room after the service. And Dave described her as a little ball of sweat. (laughs) So that was our children's ministry. Now look at our children's ministry now. If you've gotten back there to see it, it is incredible. It is just incredible. If you've seen the murals, the decor, how great is our God? So this morning, it's appropriate that we dwell on God's greatness. So please turn to Psalm 145. And we're going to draw out a few thoughts as we reflect on our history and God's goodness to us. But let's pray first. Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, what can we say? We just stand here as the recipients of your kindness. Not to us, not to us, but to your name give glory, Lord. We're nothing. Lord, I think of the verse that says, all, all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. So we give you the glory for anything good that has ever happened in this church, Lord. You've done it. We just ask you, Lord, to speak to us again from your word. And thank you that the God who created the universe would speak to us and would give this love letter to us. We thank you that you are a God who communicates and reveals yourself to us. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning again. Please reveal your glory to us. Please reveal all you've done or some of what you've done for us, Lord, and cause us to just be more amazed at who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 145 was written by David, who was a king of Israel. He was a great king. 
one of the greatest kings, perhaps the greatest king. But he came from humble roots. He was the youngest son of a number of sons in the family, and he was considered the least in the family. He was a lowly shepherd. And when the prophet Samuel came to town one day and came to his father Jesse and said, God has told me to anoint one of your sons as king, his father Jesse didn't even bother calling David in. He was so low on the list. He was so lowly. He called all his other sons in before him. So David had humble beginnings. Before he became king, he had to run for his life because Saul wanted to kill him. And he had to hide out in the desert and in caves. But though he had humble roots, David saw the greatness of God in his life and the faithfulness of God. And so he wrote Psalm 145. And the theme of this psalm is that we should worship God for who He is and all He does. We should worship God for who He is and all He does. We should, first of all, we should purpose to worship God. We should purpose in our hearts that we will worship God. We should decide that we will worship God. And that's what David begins the psalm with and he ends it with as well. He purposes to worship God. And so in verse 1, he says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. So David is saying, Lord, I am purposing to praise you every day of my life. I am setting my mind. I am making a decision because of who you are and all you have done for me and all you do for so many. He says, I will extol you. I will bless you. These are strong statements. He must have some pretty good reasons for saying this. He must have some pretty good reasons for purposing to praise God every day of his life. Good times, bad times, no matter what happens. He says, I am going to praise you. And he will give us those reasons in this psalm. We're going to look at some of them. He says, I'm going to praise you, Lord, for the rest of my life and for all eternity. And so in this psalm, actually, he lays out four attributes of God that he, he praises God for. We're going to look at three of those this morning. But at the end of the psalm, he reaffirms his desire and his purpose to praise God. And so we see in verse 21, he says, after all giving these solid reasons why he will do this, he says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh Bless His holy name forever and ever. He says, I am going to purpose to praise God and all creatures, all flesh should praise God and will praise God forever and ever. And so, let's look at these three attributes that David praises God for. These are reasons why we should worship God. If you were to say to me, Mark, why should I praise God? Why should I worship Him? Well, here's, here are some ABCs of who God is. Reasons we should worship God. The first one is great is the Lord. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. 
God is worthy of all we can give Him, all we can sing to Him, all the thanks and praise we can pour out to Him because He is so great. He is so great we can't even ever search it out. We can't imagine, we can't fathom His greatness. We can't even begin to plumb the depths because He is infinite in all of His attributes. He is infinite in His holiness. He is infinite in His love. And He is infinite in His greatness. Now think about this. All that God has created. The universe. I've read that the universe has hundreds of billions of galaxies. And that these galaxies each have hundreds of billions of stars. Now you take the whole universe as vast as it is now let's say we add heaven to that heaven with myriads and myriads of angels myriads of of believers who've gone by from ages past all of heaven now say we add onto that all of hell with all of the demons and everyone who has gone to hell all through the ages all everything that has been created take it all together and it is less and a speck of sand would be to the ocean compared to God's infinite greatness. So if, if, if we ever start to think that we're something, we need to think about the greatness of God and it'll put us on our face real fast. God is, His greatness is, has no boundaries, no edge, no limits. We we often get to vacation at the beach and sometimes I stand on the edge of the ocean and I marvel at its vastness. But I know that if I, if I sailed long enough and far enough, I'd come to the other side. I'd come to Europe. I know there's a boundary on the other side as vast as that ocean is. And I've flown over that ocean. It took six hours just to get over to England. I looked out at the ocean. It is vast, but there are boundaries. God's greatness has no boundaries, no edge. And think about this. In eternity, for those who turn to God through Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, in eternity... There will always be aspects of God's greatness that only He will know. After we have been there for 100,000 years and have seen so much of God's greatness, there will always be infinite amounts of God's greatness that we just don't even know about. It's mind-boggling. Kind of makes, kind of makes all that we think is great kind of puny, huh? That's why David says, I will praise Him. He is worthy because He is so great. And beyond praising Him, David says, God's greatness, God will be proclaimed. And so verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Because God is so great, we have to tell others. We have to tell the next generation. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this building and our children's ministry is every Sunday, one generation shall commend God's works to another. And the next generation, by God's grace, we believe that they will see God's greatness. Verse 6, David says, They shall speak 
of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. We, we didn't want this building just so we could have a beautiful place to hang out in and drink coffee. Although I, I hope to do a lot of that. We wanted this building so that we could speak of the might of God's awesome deeds. So that we could pour forth the fame of God's abundant goodness and sing aloud of His righteousness. So every Sunday when we gather together, the worship time, it's not just a warm-up for the preaching. It's not like, oh, let's just sing a few songs to get ready to hear some preaching. No, we are pouring forth the abundant goodness of God. We are singing about the greatness of God so that those who come in may also hear. So that hopefully many who don't know Jesus Christ can come in and hear of His greatness and glory. That's what, that's, that's what we want to declare. God's most awesome deed. It says, we shall speak of, of your awesome deeds. Well, God's most awesome deed was to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to become a man, be born without sin, to live a life of perfect obedience to His Father, And then, though he had never sinned himself, to voluntarily take upon himself millions, billions of sins of everyone who would ever turn to him. To take those sins upon himself and to be credited with those sins by his father as if he personally had committed every horrendous, horrific sin. And then his father crushed him on the cross and punish those sins by punishing Jesus so that whoever comes to Jesus doesn't have to pay for their sins. Whoever comes to Jesus in faith and turns away in repentance from their sins and puts all their hope in Jesus, all their trust in Jesus and what He did on the cross, not trusting in our ability to work our way to heaven, not trusting in our goodness or our deeds, but putting all our hope and all our trust in what Jesus did when we come to Jesus and call upon Him and say, Jesus, save me, forgive my sins, pour out your forgiveness and mercy into my life because you shed your blood, you were punished as a substitute for me. That's what we want to proclaim. By God's grace, we'll proclaim that every Sunday. That's why we wanted this building. That's how great our God is. Now, the second reason, besides God's greatness, not only great is the Lord, but gracious is the Lord. Verse 8 Gracious is the Lord. He says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. Now, think about how amazing this is. We have just talked about the greatness of God. Our God is greater than all creation put together. And yet this infinitely great God is gracious and He cares about us and He is kind to us and He is merciful to us. Why does He even notice us? Why does He even care about us? He's so infinitely great and yet this great God is gracious. 
This is amazing. When we say God is gracious, it means He blesses those who don't deserve it. When we say someone's a gracious host, we mean that they go out of their way to bless you. You go to their home and they look out for you. They serve you. They say, sit down. Can I get you something to eat? Is there anything you need? Can I make you some coffee? They're giving. They're generous. That's a gracious host. What's incredible is that God would be gracious. God should be saying, hey, you need to be thinking about me. And God's saying, sit down, what can I do for you? Can I bless you? I can't wait to pour out my kindness on you. I want to show you my beauty so you'll just be dazzled and astounded. I want you to know my love. God is so gracious. He's infinitely exalted and great, yet He's lavish and kind to us who are nothing. Jesus, the creator of the universe, knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. What were they thinking? (laughs) They didn't realize how gracious God is. And the ultimate gracious, undeserved gift of God is his son, Jesus Christ. See, no one deserves to go to heaven. If you think that you can do enough good things in your life so that you deserve to go to heaven, if you think you can do enough good things in your life so that you can overcome all your sins and sort of tip the scales, the Bible says there is no one who is righteous in God's sight. There is no one who is good enough. There is no one who meets God's standard. And so, we are at the mercy of God. And He graciously provided His Son, Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, He could bring us to God. He could bring us to the Father. Bring us into the Father's presence. And instead of us coming with our own good deeds, which aren't good at all according to the Bible, we come clothed the Bible says, in the righteousness and the deeds and the life that Jesus lived. I went to a restaurant once. Some friends of ours took me and a few other guys to a restaurant. When we got there, it said coat and tie required. And we we didn't have a coat and tie. So we weren't going to be able to eat there. But the restaurant said, however, guys, we have coats and ties that we provide for people like you. So that you can come in here. (laughs) And so, here were us guys not dressed up, but the restaurant brought coats and ties out to us and we put on the coats and ties. Well, that's a, a small picture of what God does. We couldn't come before God in our own righteousness. But He's gracious. And He says, I'll provide the righteousness for you. It's the righteousness of my Son, Jesus Christ. I'll cloak you with that and then I can bring you into my presence. And I look at Jesus' righteousness, not your unrighteousness. So grace means we don't deserve. We don't, when we go to heaven, none of us is going to say, I deserve to be here. We're going to say, Lord, I don't deserve to be here. I deserve to be in hell. But it is your grace that I am standing here. We don't deserve this building. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve any good thing at all from God. But today we're here enjoying the presence of God in this building. Why? Because of all... All our hard work and sacrifices because of all our giving? No. The reason we're here is because God 
is gracious. God is great, and God is gracious. Maybe, maybe some of you have never known God to be like this. Before Jesus apprehended me, I didn't think of God like this. I thought of God as far off and distant and ready to punish me. But He's, he's calling out to you today. Come to me. Turn to my son Jesus. If you, if you call upon my son Jesus, even if you maybe fully don't understand all the ramifications of it, if you sincerely, wholeheartedly say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to know you as God. I want you to change me. I, I want to, to know your grace and kindness. He will. If you pursue Jesus, if you seek him, you will find him because he's gracious and merciful. Well, not only is God great, not only is He gracious, but He is faithful. Great is the Lord, gracious is the Lord, faithful is the Lord. We've been singing about that all morning, but verse 13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. God is faithful. He's faithful in all His words. He upholds. He upholds all who are falling. And He, and he doesn't let go when He upholds all who are falling. And He raises up all who are bowed down. He sustains us in our weakness. We don't uphold ourselves. I, I love thinking back on the history of this church because, well, because I know who I am. I know what a loser I am. <laughs> I know where I came from. I know where we came from. And, and as I think back on the history of this church, to me, it is a reminder of God's faithfulness to uphold people who could, just couldn't have done it on the, their own. I tell people often, I say the very fact that our church even exists after all these years with me as the senior pastor is proof there's a living God. <laughs> when within the first few weeks of meeting in the Best Western, the guy who said he was going to be our pastor just left. So there we were, a ragtag group of people with no pastor trying to get by. So each week, we'd get whoever we could to speak. The leaders would say to each other, who are we going to get to speak this Sunday? I don't know. Do you know somebody? Yeah, I know somebody in uh, Murraysville who can speak. Well, good, get him. So every week, we'd have a different preacher. And, and every everyone was just totally... One, one, one week, one preacher said, every single Christian should disciple another Christian. The next week, someone would come in and say, if every single Christian should go out to the mission field. And we were just like jerked around week after week. Once we got this energetic Pentecostal preacher, and we were just the wrong audience for him. Um, <laughs> he was whipping himself into a Pentecostal frenzy, just preaching, and, and we were sitting there feebly saying, Amen. Preach it, you know, trying to get into it. 
And, and he was going, he was, he was getting whipped up and he was, he was saying, I was driving down the highway on the turnpike and the Lord said to me, son, close your eyes. <laughs> we're looking around and he says, but I said, Lord, I'm on the turnpike. And the Lord said, I know, close your eyes. So he said, I close my eyes. And God gave him some kind of revelation or something like that. And another point, another point in the message, he says, I just got to sing Amazing Grace. You heard the song Amazing Grace, right? And he said, Amen. Preach it. He said, let's sing Amazing Grace. And he reached down and he picked up a pair of cymbals that were unraveling on the edges. And he said, sing, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. You know, I'm, I remember one of the guys in the front row, just kind of the whole service kind of slouching down more and more and more. <laughs> just... So next week we're saying, who can we get? <laughs> Not him again. And he was sincere and godly man, but we were just the wrong audience for him. Well, eventually in April of 1980, we got a pastor, a man named Brent Detweiler, who had gone to school at IUP, gone to seminary, came back intending to lead a campus fellowship. And we kept asking him to be our pastor. But we had so many problems, he later said, I didn't want to touch that group with a 10-foot pole. (laughs) But we kept asking him to speak on Sundays. Eventually, he became our first pastor. And he really began to teach us and lay solid biblical foundations in our church. And I am so grateful for all he taught and all he did in my life for us in those early years. And in the beginning, he began to work with a group of about 10 or 11 guys, taking them through a book of doctrine. And I was in that book, or I was in that group. I was teaching art at the time. I was an art teacher. I was an art major at IUP. I was teaching art, and I had just gotten married to Christy. And he said, Brent said to me, this was in my first year of marriage, really the first decent job I'd ever had in my whole life, because I'd been such a loser before that. First decent job. And he started talking to me over the summer about becoming a pastor. He said I thought, he thought I had a call on my life. So, without knowing what I was doing, much to my mother's dismay, I quit my teaching job over the summer, came on staff in September of 1980, and after nine months in June of 81, Brent and two other men ordained me as a pastor. Then a year later, one year later, 1982, Brent relocated to Gaithersburg, Maryland to work with some other men we knew, and I suddenly became senior pastor. Me, the art major. 1982, senior pastor. I had no idea what I was doing. And here's an example of me not knowing what I was doing. There was, there was a church that was uh, sort of an early sister church of ours. We later joined this larger ministry called Sovereign Grace Ministries. But there, this church down in Gaithersburg, Maryland, had these outreaches called Family Film Nights. They would get a movie... They'd get a movie like, uh, who's laughing? Norm, you were there probably. You know what's coming. They, they would have these family film nights, and they would get a film like Fiddler on the Roof or 
uh, crossing the switchblade. And they would tell everybody in the church, invite your friends. We're going to watch this film. After the film, one of the pastors would get up and make a few comments. And it was a way of reaching out to people. They'd talk about the Lord a little bit. And so I called one of these pastors down there who was a friend of mine. And he sent me all the flyers of all the movies that they showed. And one of the flyers was a a movie called City of the Bees. (laughs) City of the Bees. It it was a movie made by a Christian organization, and it was about how the complex life of honeybees shows that there has to be a God. (laughs) And it really does um, in many ways. (laughs) Still trying to justify myself. (laughs) And I thought, hmm, boy, that looks like a good one. So we ordered the movie, and, and in my usual confident style of leading, I failed to preview the movie. I figured, oh, it has to be good. It's by a Christian organization. <laughs> so here it is, family film night, Friday night. The room is packed. People have brought their friends. I'm all excited. We're going to reach people for the Lord, and the movie starts. Well, City of the Bees looks like it's been made in the 50s. This is in, this is around 79, 80, no, this is, no, this is like 82. And City of the Bees looks like it has been made in the 50s, and the scientist in his white lab coat, who's talking about bees, looks like he came right off the set of Leave it to Beaver or something. (laughs) And, and the effects, the, the effects in this, this City of the Bees were, were really lame. I mean, this was after Star Wars had come out, which at the time, at the time, had the most amazing effects that, that anybody had ever seen. There was one scene in City of the Bees that showed a honeybee from the side. And it was supposed to be flying. But the bee's just sitting there, kind of looking around. I don't even think its wings were moving. It's just kind of looking around. But the background is like going by like real fast. Kind of, kind of like... Uh, the old Superman movie from the 60s and 50s where Superman, the guy playing Superman would be laying on a table probably and the background would be going behind him. Well, that, and, and people are screaming with laughter. People are howling. There's, there's another scene. It's supposed to be a bee's eye view of, of a bee flying through a field. But you can tell it's a guy with a camera. You know, and people are laughing and screaming and, and, and I'm, I'm like slumping down on my seat. I'm thinking, I am not the, the pastor of this church. I don't know who the pastor is. It's not me. I'm thinking, I'm an idiot. Why, why don't, why don't I look at these things ahead of time? Well, you'll be happy to know that we showed several movies after that and I also failed to preview them as well. <laughs> We had another movie. <laughs> we had another movie about a Christian family or some family or something. And there's a bully in the family. We got kids here, lots of little kids. Family, family fun film night. And there's a movie, and all of a sudden there's a dog in the movie, and one of the characters in the movie picks up the dog and throws it off a cliff. <laughs> and the little kids are going, ah! There was another time in our history, another time in our history that we, uh, we lost $9,000 on an, on an investment. I just, I mean, I remember just thinking, oh, I mean, that was a lot of money back then. One day, $9,000 gone. 
And for years, our church didn't grow very much. There were lots of people in our church just had very tough economic situations. Lots of people were having to leave the area for work and because they couldn't get jobs. It was so bad that once in the, in the mid-1980s, one of the leaders of Sovereign Grace Ministries now, it's our family of churches, one of the leaders asked me this. He said, Mark, what do you think? Is it time to turn out the lights in Indiana? It really suggested that we just close our church down because we were losing so many people. Another leader suggested we close down the church, tell everyone to go to other churches, and me move to Virginia Beach and work with the senior pastor there. But I just remember thinking, I, I can't tell my friends to just go somewhere else. I just, I, I felt so bad. I felt like, ah. Oh. And, and we would have meetings with all these pastors in, in Sovereign Grace Ministries. And at the time, we had to give updates on our churches. And each pastor would say, you know, I planted this church with six people. And now six months later, we have 500 people. And everyone, I would say, well, church growth experts are studying our church to see why we're shrinking so fast. <laughs> so... I can remember we were meeting at the corner of 9th and Church Street in the renting from the First Baptist Church. They rented us their educational wing for about 10 years. And at one point they felt like they needed the space and they were very kind to let us have that space. But they, they said, you know what, we've got to have this space you're in. So we had 90 days to find another building. Had no idea where we were going to go. And so I remember praying and fasting and and Andrew Walwork met Max Money, and Max was willing to renovate a warehouse he had for us. And actually, Max wound up having to tear the whole thing to the ground and build the church building from the ground up. And that was the building that we were in for the last 20 years. But that was God's faithful provision. We had no idea where we were going to go. And God just let Max come into our lives and do that for us. So the history of our church is a history of a God who is great, gracious, and faithful. And that's what this day is all about. It's certainly not about us or how great we are. It's about our great God who graciously sent His Son Jesus to save us. And He faithfully sustains us. And I, just, I would just want to appeal to all of you who have not called on the Lord. Jesus is waiting to be gracious to you. I remember when I first prayed to become a Christian, I was thinking, oh, here goes my life. I'm not going to have any fun anymore. I didn't know that God was waiting to pour out kindness upon me beyond my wildest dreams. God longs for you to be in a relationship with Him, to know His greatness, to, to taste His graciousness, to experience His faithfulness. And if, if you would turn to His Son, Jesus Christ, that's the only way to God. Jesus said there is no other way to experience the love of God and to know God and to find forgiveness for your sins and to come into a relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants to do the same 
kinds of things that He has done for me over my lifetime and us as a church and many of us individually. He longs to sustain you and support you. And maybe some of you have said, you know what, all I've done in my life, it's, it's been great, but it just hasn't been really that fulfilling. This world cannot fulfill like Jesus Christ, the fountain of living waters, fulfills. And I just hope that you see a little bit by God's faithfulness to us that He desires to be faithful to you. And so I would encourage you to turn to Him. And my first time I ever turned to Jesus was, I didn't know what to pray. You don't have to have any kind of formal prayer. I just said, Jesus, I need you to change me. Please change me. Please help me. But if you, if you would like, we would, we would be happy to talk with you either today or you want to call the church, get together with somebody. We would be happy to talk to you more about what it means and how to get to know Jesus, how to come to find salvation through Him. And for the rest of us, for all our guests and all our members, I just, I just want us to just look around and just say, boy, God is faithful. God is faithful. And His faithfulness to us as a church is a, just a reminder of His faithfulness to us as individuals. It would be just a great thing to do this week to just recall God's faithfulness to you over the years. Think back. Some of you... Some of you have been here from the beginning. You remember those times, those preachers. You remember, you remember some of the goofy things we did as a church. It's just a great day to look back and say, Lord, you have been faithful. And so David ends his, in Psalm 145 by saying, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. So He he purposes again. And could could I just ask us as a church, and I know you want to do this, let's just again purpose today. Let us, each one of us, purpose in our hearts that we will praise God all our days. Whether it goes good, whether it goes bad, whether we realize how weak we are, whether we blow it, whether, whether we're in tough situations, whether we're suffering, whether we're going through trials, let's be like David and say, I will speak of the greatness, the graciousness, and the faithfulness of God all my days. Let's stand and let's pray. Let's have the worship team come up. Lord God, we praise you for your greatness. We praise you that you're gracious. We praise you that you're faithful. Thank you for reminding us of this again. Lord, may it it affect our lives. Tomorrow, tomorrow, Lord, when when we're on the job or tomorrow in our homes or wherever we are, when we face whatever kind of trials we face, whatever challenges, large or small, may we remember that you are great and you are gracious and you are faithful. 
And may we purpose to praise you, Lord. May we give you glory. May we speak that. May we declare, it doesn't matter what I'm going through, God is great. It doesn't matter how hard this is, God is gracious. It doesn't matter how tough this is, God is faithful. Lord, we we need you. We, We realize that we are so weak. We can't even do this on our own. And so, Lord, we're just asking for your grace to do this. Lord, would you help us to do this? And we thank you that you will, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.